So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to the book of Acts. If you don't, the Pew Bible in front of you is available, and we're going to be on page 966. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but we're starting here. As always, if anything pops into your mind, any question that you might have about what we talk about this morning, you can text that into the text number, and we'll take a look at that at the end this morning. We're going through a series just on the question of like, what is the point of this thing that we do called church? Who are we and what are we becoming? And we started with this idea that that God is not hidden, that we we serve a God who reveals himself to people. That's, that's why we're called Revelation Church, because we believe that God is the one who moves first in all of our lives. And then we said that there's some realities about us. For those of us that are Christians here this morning, we are adopted by the Father. We've been welcomed into a new family Last week we said we're loyal to the Son. Our our highest, our greatest allegiance is to King Jesus. And this morning we're going to talk about how the reality is, is that we're empowered by the Spirit. And these are things, these are not new things maybe for you. These are, these are uh, everyday normal realities. But as I, as I reminded you a couple of weeks ago, Peter says in 2 Peter that he will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth. We are people that forget this stuff and we need to be reminded I also mentioned that as we think about the gospel, the good news of the gospel, the gospel has three movements to it. The first movement we call revelation. God, God does something in history. Jesus came as a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit. These things are true. But then a response is required. We need to respond to that revelation by faith, by repentance, by allegiance to the Son. But then there's results that happen. This is one of the things we're going to talk about this morning is that we are given the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this passage in Acts, Luke is writing to Theophilus, his um, uh, a financer, I guess you might want to say, the guy that's probably paying for the book to be written. And he's, he says, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote my gospel. I wrote about the story of Jesus. I wrote that um, he, he came and he worked and he died and he rose from the dead and, and, and all of that stuff happened. He, he inaugurated the kingdom of God for his people but the story doesn't end there. In Acts, we begin with this, this, this scene where Jesus is, is with his disciples, ready to ascend into heaven. And in verse four, we read, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. And what I, I want to see two things in this verse this morning. And the first one is this word, wait. Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you guys, you, you've, you are my, you're my people. You're going to inaugurate the kingdom of God, but you know what I want you to do first? Nothing. Don't do anything. The apostles are called to wait because they need power that they don't have. 
I used to work uh, for the Salvation Army Croc Center, and I just remember this one time, and I, I don't remember the circumstances. I think it was, I think it was like a utility company was digging, and they hit something in the ground. But whatever the reason was, we lost all our power. And if you've ever been to the Croc Center, it's this huge building. All this stuff is going on. We didn't have any power. The treadmills didn't work. Uh, the pump that pumped the water down the water slide didn't work. They couldn't blend smoothies in the cafe. A lot of the doors were like key card operated, so we would walk into them and, and, and touch the key card and then they wouldn't open and so we'd smash our heads against them because there was no power. The internet was down. Many of us office staff, we just decided, you know what, we're going to go home. There's nothing for us to do here. The job that we had required power and we didn't have any. See, Jesus has completed his ministry. He's enthroned as king through the cross and he's risen from the dead. And he has a mission for his people to go out into the world and to make disciples of all nations. And his orders are, don't do anything because you can't. This job requires power that you don't have. Do we, do we recognize that? about our calling? Where do, we, do we live our lives with the understanding that the power of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to live out our state of adoption as children of God and to live into active loyalty to the Son? It's the Holy Spirit in you that's giving you what you need to be God's people. Have you ever tried running on a treadmill when the power is off? It doesn't work very well. Have you ever tried going down a water slide when there's no water running? It chafes a little. It's not fun. But, but is this how you might describe your walk with Jesus? It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It's frustrating. Now, we're not in the same position as the first Christians. They didn't have the Holy Spirit empowering them until Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. If we are God's people today, we have already been given the spirit of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. But we also run across all these other passages throughout the New Testament. In Revelation 2, we read, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The assumption is that the Spirit is speaking and not everyone is listening. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, don't stifle the Spirit. If you're into memorizing scripture, which is a great discipline to engage with, this is a good verse. It's only four words. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't extinguish the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. We're not going to unpack all that, but it's a warning from Paul. Paul also says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Paul says the spirit is a person and he can be grieved. Later on in Ephesians, he says, pay careful attention then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. 
There's, a, there's an either or there, specifically drunkenness, which I don't think we take seriously enough, but also just reckless living and foolishness. And, and we can choose to not lean into the power of the Spirit. One more from Paul in Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, and the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. We have a choice. We can give ourselves over to the power of the Spirit, or we can do something else. And that brings me to the second thing I want to point out in in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, is he says, wait for the Father's promise. Back in the Gospels, we recognize that the Father's promise is the Holy Spirit. If we keep reading in this text, we see that it's the Holy Spirit. We don't just need power as Christians. We need the right kind of power. Geek out a little bit. Um, We've got this live stream thing that we do that we don't do really very well, but there's some cameras back there and there's all these little, these little doodads with all these cables plugged into them. And this one splits a signal and this one cooks to the internet. And this one is a monitor and all this stuff. And they all have AC adapters. You know what an AC adapter looks like? It's, it's this, sometimes it's called a wall wart. And I decided a couple uh, weeks ago, I was going to do a project. I was going to make all of those little adapters go away and mount all the little boxes onto a plate and make it so you just had to plug in one cable. But the thing is, if you, I'll go back here. If you see on the bottom of this, this is your electronics lesson for the day. There's a little, little symbol that's got a plus and a minus and a dot. See, on those adapters, there's an inside and an outside. And positive power goes through one and negative power goes through the other. And you have to get that right. Because if you plug in a power adapter that's the wrong kind of power, at the very least, it just doesn't work. And I struggled with this for a little bit. I had to find the right kind of power to make this system work with all the various little parts. But sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it starts up for a second and it sputters and flickers and then it dies. And if you're not careful, you can permanently damage the equipment by feeding it the wrong kind of power. See, the Holy Spirit is power that comes from God. It's the right kind of power for our lives. But we are capable of trying to use other kinds of power to empower our lives. Paul writes in Galatians 3, are you so foolish? After beginning in the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Why have you swapped out the power of God for a different kind of power? For many of us, our life with Jesus seems to be dead and lifeless because we're trying to plug it into the wrong kind of power. In Galatians, it was voices saying, in order to follow Jesus, you need to trust in Jesus, but also you need to make sure that all these other things are in place. Maybe someone, maybe someone here is like a real doer. You're just a kind of grit your teeth and push through and get it done kind of person. And, and that works for a while until you sputter and malfunction and flicker. Do more, try harder, be better. But we're always going to wear out when we're tapped into the wrong power. 
And it's even worse than that. Paul, again, in Timothy says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. The Bible is really interesting when it talks about dark spiritual power. In our modern world, we might think that it would be like, you know, that's dumb. Don't do that. But that's not the message of Scripture. The message of Scripture is that's real, that's powerful, that will get you what you want, maybe, but it's evil and it will destroy you. Watch out for the wrong kind of power because it will mess you up. The Holy Spirit power is gospel power. It comes as a promise from the Father not as something that you have to work for or collude with other spiritual forces to acquire. The Spirit of God is a gift for us, freely given to his people. So Christian, for you this morning, the reality is the Holy Spirit is in you and all the power that he provides is at your disposal. This is true about you. This is a reality about you. If you're not a Christian here today, I can't say that about you. You do not have the power of the Spirit of God. But if you've been born again by faith in Jesus, this is true of you. So what happens when we have the Spirit of God inside of us? So we're going to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, this is page 1034 in the Pew Bibles. Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and we live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another." So what happens when the Spirit of God is empowering us, when that's a reality in our lives? The first thing is that we produce fruit. The Spirit of God in us produces fruit. And this fruit of the Spirit is a kind of life that looks like Jesus. Notice in this list of fruit, we're talking about character. And this is something that we all have to work on because we all have a tendency to give lip service to character, but constantly make excuses for people without good character as long as they seem effective. And we do this in church. We do it in politics. We do it in sports. We do it in entertainment. 
Yeah, 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 they're, they're kind of a jerk, but look at their reach. Yeah, I know that they're abusive in their relationships, but think of all of the things that they'll do for the movement. Or yeah, he's a real rotten person to his wife, but look how he throws the ball. And we can't be hypocrites here. Character always matters more than effectiveness. And the fruit of the Spirit is a supernatural strength of character that comes from the Holy Spirit's empowering in the life of a Christian. Real quickly, I want to talk about three characteristics of fruit. This comes from the work of Tim Keller. The first one is that fruit is gradual. The only way we can see fruit growing is with a time-lapse camera. Have you ever seen that to where it's really, really fast and it blossoms and grows and then it rots usually? If you just stare at a plant, you will not see the fruit grow. And some of you are walking with Jesus and there are people in your life that just don't believe you. They don't believe that you've become a new person. They don't believe that the spirit of God is at work in you. Yeah, well, prove it. The reality is it's just going to take time for fruit to be evident. My wife likes to remind me of how sarcastic I was when we were dating. That was 20 years ago. I am less sarcastic now. It's, it's still in there. It, it rears its ugly head sometimes. But, but I've grown a lot, but it's taken 20 years to look back and go like, oh yeah, I've grown a lot. There's fruit here. Fruit takes time to grow. Fruit is gradual, but fruit is inevitable. Tim Keller writes, if someone has the spirit in them, if they are a Christian, the fruit will grow. Whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the spirit will burst through. It's inevitable. This forces us to ask if we've been Christians for a few years or more, is there fruit growing in my life? We are saved by faith, not by growing fruit, but we are not saved by fruitless faith. A person saved by faith will be a person in whom the fruit of the Spirit grows. Keller says that there's there's no option here. You don't get to be filled with the Spirit of God at your salvation and not grow fruit. Over time, fruit will grow. So how do we know we are growing fruit? All of the fruit of the Spirit is relational. It all happens in proximity to other people. So if you want to know what the fruit of the Spirit in your life looks like, ask people, talk to people, make relationships with people in the community that can honestly share with you what they see in your life. Have you ever tried to shave your own back? Anybody? No? Is that a little too personal? It's hard. Why? Because you just can't see what's growing back there by yourself. This is what the church is for. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times we get really myopic in our vision and we don't recognize like, yeah, you know what? You've, You've really grown a lot in this season. I'm really proud of the patience that you're showing or the the goodness or the kindness that you're displaying in your relationships. 
Paul says in Romans 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. We should be a people that are looking for ways to point out all the fruit in each other's lives. Because I guarantee you, I don't see my own fruit. I hear voices of shame and guilt and fear and failure. And I forget that God is at work in me. And I need all of you to go, you know what? I see the spirit at work in you. And we all need each other for that. Fruit is gradual, but fruit is inevitable. And thirdly, fruit is symmetrical. The fruit of the spirit is singular, not plural. It's not the fruits of the spirit. It's one fruit. So think of the fruit of the spirit as a watermelon, not a grocery store display. It's, it's not, I grew up in a, a Christian school. I just remember this very clearly of a, a tree on the wall. And there was like a banana that said faithfulness and an apple that said joy and a, you know, all that. That's not how it works. A watermelon has a dark spot and a green spot and a white spot and a red spot. And then the, the seeds that you can eat and the seeds that you're not supposed to eat, which is super confusing. But the reality is it all grows at the same time. You never get a watermelon that's just the red part. All of it happens at once. This means that you're only as spiritual as your weakest character trait. Your, persona- your personality might, be, might make it easy for you to operate in what looks like some of the fruit of the Spirit, But when the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life, all of these characteristics increase. You can't be someone that's like, man, I'm supernaturally filled with joy, but I have no self-control. You may have joy from some source. You may just be built like that. You're a joyful person. But if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you, that supernatural joy will increase just like the supernatural self-control. All of the things grow as one fruit because the Spirit of God isn't separated into parts. Fruit is gradual, fruit is inevitable, and fruit is symmetrical. So the question for us is, what are we doing to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? What happens if you don't prune a plant, for those of you that are into gardening? Have you, ever, have you ever neglected your garden and then it's time to harvest the fruit and you've got like one tiny little strawberry that's like malformed and unripe or, or a single tomato that's hidden behind all those leaves? See, fruit is inevitable. Fruit will grow. But if you don't care for your spiritual life, it will be small and weak. If we aren't people that are pruning the flesh out of our life, The spirit will still grow fruit in us, but we will be frustrated with how slow the process is and how weak we are. The spirit of God inside us is the power that produces fruit in our lives. And this is a reality if you are a Christian. So one more thing, what else happens when we are empowered by the spirit? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the Pew Bible, we're gonna be on 1018. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
or sorry, we're going to start at verse 4, aren't we? That's right. I got you. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the, the, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, this, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. So the supernatural power of the Spirit of God creates fruit in our lives that looks like godly character, but it also the Spirit also gives us supernatural gifts, supernatural abilities, power that we do not naturally have. And do we believe that in in 2022 in in America? Yeah, we do. We believe that that all the spiritual gifts are at work in the body of Christ, that they're all necessary, and that the Spirit has distributed them to all of us to accomplish His purposes in our midst. So what are some principles that we need to grasp about this reality? Firstly, the the gifts of the Spirit are communal. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Why? For the common good. Nobody gets spiritual gifts just for their own benefit. We're given spiritual gifts for one another. And this is such an important thing for us to understand if we're going to have a biblical understanding of the church. You individually, Christian, have been given a superpower by the Spirit of God for the rest of us. If we're to believe what Paul is saying here, it is nonsensical to envision a follower of Jesus that is not connected to a collective group of other followers of Jesus. We've all been given the Spirit. We've all been given gifts. This is a reality for us. And for us to cut ourselves off from the community doesn't make any sense. And maybe we're preaching to the choir here because we're obviously all at a gathering. But if in your imagination, the church doesn't include you by necessity, 
you aren't thinking biblically about what the church is. Let me say it a different way. Um, You guys like pinatas? Pretty fun. Yeah? Went to a birthday party this summer. There's a pinata. And uh, how does a pinata work? It's, it's a, some sort of paper mache character filled with candy. And you go to a birthday party and you hang it in a tree or on a pole. And all the kids line up and they get blindfolded and spun around and they go with a bat. Super dangerous and fun. And they hit the pinata to try to get the candy to fall out. And then all the other kids rush in to get the candy and try not to get hit by the bat from the blindfolded kid. Imagine getting a pinata for your birthday, but not having a party. It's just mom and dad and Johnny. And they're like, here, Johnny, happy birthday. Here's your pinata. See, a pinata as a gift, it just doesn't make any sense outside the context of a party. Like you just don't do it. And for us to be given gifts by the Holy Spirit that are all relationally oriented in their use, it just doesn't make any sense outside of the context of a committed, transformative relationship within a group of, body, of, a group of other Christians. And I'm afraid that we remove ourselves from this reality in a couple different ways. Paul says it in verses 14 through 16 in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And so there's some of us this morning that are saying, You know what? I don't have a cool gift like other people. They, they have this gift and I don't have it and I probably don't have a gift and I'm lame and I'm boring and I don't know. God doesn't love me. I must not be a part of the body. And some of you, you have this image of yourself where you, you, you just aren't really worth anything to the body of Christ because you just don't believe that you've been gifted. We compare ourselves to people who have more exciting gifts in our own minds or more publicly recognizable gifts or more flashy gifts. And we think, man, I just, I just don't have that. I'm not part of that. But the reality is, is you have been given a gift, at least one by the Holy Spirit. And it is your job to function in this community by using your gift for the benefit of the rest of us, no matter what it is. And comparing yourself to other people just puts a stumbling block there. But then there's another thing that we can do that Paul talks about in verse 20. He says, as it is, there are many parts in one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor and our respectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. So then there's some of us that are going to say, they're going to look around and go like, you know what? Your gift is weird. I don't like it. You, you make me uncomfortable when you operate in the spirit. I've got my gift, my piece of the pie, and I figured out how to get along with just my single piece of the pie and maybe a couple other people that I like to hang out with that share my common interests. And we're just going to decide like the other gifts that 
Scripture says are necessary for this body, they're not really necessary. I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. We don't need you. And this usually happens when some people have gifts that don't maybe seem normal. They don't fit into the church culture that we've created. But here's the thing about the Spirit of God is, is he can't be predicted. Paul writes in verse 13, he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all given one spirit to drink. The Spirit of God is very often described in Scripture as a liquid. Sometimes, it's, sometimes he's described as, as wind. Wind's kind of a liquid, I guess, too, depending on what science class you're taking. So I don't want to say that God is liquid, but this, this is a metaphor that gets used in Scripture. Do you remember, um, do you remember the scene in Jurassic Park where uh, the, the, the clan is, is driving in the Jeeps and ev- nothing's gone wrong at this point, but Ian Malcolm is there who's a chaotician. He's a mathematician that studies chaos. And, and Ellie Sad- Sadler, the uh, uh, plant paleontologist, is like, what's chaos theory? And, and he's being creepy, but also trying to explain his job. And, and he, he gets her to put a drop of water on his hand and says, tell me which way the drop of water is going to fall. And she says, it's going to go down this way. And, and it, it, it does. And, and then he goes, okay, now put another drop of water on my hand and predict where it's going to go. And, and she says, it's going to go the same way. And it goes back the opposite way. See, liquid, or in, in Jesus' metaphor in John, the wind, these are, these are unpredictable things. These are not just things that you set on a table and they stay there until you move them. For those of us that have sat in the back of this room and spilled their coffee, it made it to the front, didn't it? Like it, and it, it took, a, took a unique path down between the rows and into the floorboards. It just does what it wants. And don't misunderstand me. God is not chaotic. He is purposeful. He is clear. He is strategic. He has a plan but he cannot be nailed down and his actions can't always be predicted. And the work of the Spirit of God in the church, in the scriptures and throughout church history has consistently been outside our boxes. So are we expecting the unexpected in our lives personally and in the life of the church corporately? Or are we content with like, well, these four gifts I'm good with those eight gifts. They're weird. I don't need that. See, Scripture says that we do. We need all the gifts of the Spirit in operation in order for Revelation Church to be healthy. Some of the gifts might not belong to people that are a part of our community yet. And so we need to pray that God would bring people that operate in those gifts for our good. But it's also true that some of you are here and you have gifts that you know you're not using, or you've never bothered to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. And this is to the detriment of all of us. So I'd encourage you, if, if, you, if you have gifts that you're not operating in, what, what are you waiting for? And if you don't know what your gifts are, it's kind of like the shaving your back thing. Ask some people to help you. It's a classic 
uh, pastor phrase, God can't steer a parked car. You heard that before? Do you want to see God move in our midst? Do you want to see the power of the Holy Spirit come to life among us, both with fruit of character and supernatural power? Get in, get in there. Join a community group. Be a greeter. Serve in children's ministry. Volunteer with Love, Inc. Start doing things and see what happens. See how the Spirit speaks. See how the Spirit moves. See what things happen to you over and over and over again. And don't just assume it happens to everybody that way because that might be a certain gift that you've been given that other people haven't. So as we close, last question, how do, where do we get this power from God? And it, it's an easy answer. We, we ask for it. We've been given the Spirit, but we can be filled with the Spirit. Jesus says in Luke 11, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So that's my my encouragement to us this morning is that these gifts, these fruit... This is God's grace in our lives. We don't do anything to earn this. We don't have to prove our worth to him. We have been saved from our sin and made new by the work of Christ and the spirit has been given to us as a gift. So Revelation Church, we are adopted by the father. There is nothing we can do to earn his love because he demonstrated it to us while we were still in sin. And we are loyal to the son He is our king and we are his people and our lives are meant to look like his. And we are empowered by the spirit. His presence in us will produce godly character and supernatural abilities. These things are all true about us as Christians. Next week, we're gonna shift in our series a little bit. We've talked about these three realities. Next week, we're gonna start talking about the things that we want to be living into We are people becoming a certain way. We've got six of those that we're going to go through. And these are things that that we all can go, yeah, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. But for today, we are adopted by the Father. We are loyal to the Son. And we are empowered by the Spirit. Amen? All right. Let's see if there's any questions here. For those of us who are unsure of what our gifts are or how we are called to operate in the body for the benefit of the congregation and God's glory, what are some resources or passages or practices that we can use, that we can use to start leaning into purposeful obedience in this area? What are ongoing things for continual maturity in this area? 
So I've been, I've been thinking about this, praying about this for a little while, and I think this is a major area of growth for our church this year. And so I've, I've got some things that I haven't nailed down yet, but um, what I will say is if you're not in a community group, you should join a community group. Um, because none of the community group leaders know this, but I think we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna spend some time working on spiritual gifts this year in our community groups and um, in some really practical ways. And and I I would say like maybe maybe you've taken like a spiritual gifts inventory test or whatever. Maybe that's fine, but the body of Christ is going to be able to help you identify your spiritual gifts. And so it's key to have real honest, authentic relational connection with people in the body because people are going to see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And um, those are going to be opportunities to grow in those things. And I've got some resources that I'm going to, I think, roll out um, here in the near future for that. So stay tuned. Asking for a friend. These are anonymous, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) For those who can't feel the comfort or how do we know he is active and real, I've been told that the rebirth that is talked about in John 3 might mean the resurrection. I have a couple thoughts about about this. Um, I was talking with my wife last night, and and uh, she she was asking about like what what it feels like when the Holy Spirit is communicating to me. And I said nothing. <laughs> I said, "What are you talking about?" And. Uh, and she goes, well, you know, like you, your body gets all warm or you feel like a rushing wind. I'm like, you are crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about. So for her, she's a very intuitive person. She experiences God working in those ways that are strongly intuitive. I'm a very like heady kind of person, if you didn't know. So when, when God speaks to me, a lot of the time it's up here. I'm actually, I, I started um, meeting with a spiritual director a month ago, and, and our goal is, is to help me to better hear the voice of the Spirit through different parts of who I am rather than just my head. So I guess the first thing I would say is if you don't feel like this presence of God is near you, well, I, I would just say, well, what is it supposed to feel like? Is there a rule for God's presence that it feels a certain way? And even even if you can't feel the presence of God, the reality is the presence of God is here. The presence of God is in this room. The presence of God is in our hearts as believers. So we can always fall back on the like, I don't sense your presence, but I know you're here. And it's his gift to us when he does something either in our minds or in our hearts or in our bodies that, that lets us know like, yeah, he is here and I feel that and I sense that. And, and in some ways we just have to trust that when we need that, he'll provide that for us. And then the other thing I would say about the spirit's activity and his reality is, do you have fruit in your life? 
Are you, are you walking in your gifting? Like if those things are true about you, if you can look back, again, I can look back on my life and go like, wow, I'm a lot less sarcastic than I used to be. I'm a lot more patient and joyful and kind and I'm far from perfect and all those things, but I can see God's work in me over the years. And so that's super comforting that God hasn't abandoned me. Even if I don't feel him right now, I can see what he has done to get me to where I am. And so if you're feeling, or if your friend is feeling like, where, you know, where is God? I want to I legitimize that feeling because I think that happens to all of us. I think God puts us in that place so that we will trust in his promises and not in a subjective experience. A subjective experience is great. And we're, we're given subjective experiences for a lot of reasons and we should cherish those as, as gifts. But when they are absent, it's an opportunity for us to go, I'm, I'm loyal to the sun and, and, and stand on that promise. Man, this is beeping a lot. Are you advocating the use of the Pentecostal gifts in our church, like prophecy and speaking in other tongues? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think all, I, I, so there's a, there's, there's two kind of big categories here of, of, of people that call themselves cessationists and people that call themselves continuationists. And a cessationist would say that there were certain supernatural abilities that were given to the church, primarily to the apostles in the early church to act as signs for the new Christian movement. And when the New Testament scriptures were completed, those signs died away. And so now the gifts that we can use are like the normal ones, like faith and mercy and teaching. Um, I'm, I'm just not convinced that the Bible says that, like anywhere. The testimony of scripture, if we're going to be faithful to it, is that all of these gifts were given to the church for the common good. And some of them are like weird, right? Like, and some of you have been in environments where they're used in very strange ways. And I don't want to critique anyone in particular, but just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're using it correctly. We all know this. If I have the gift of teaching, I could teach false doctrine and still be a gifted teacher and be very damaging to the church. So if, if we say like, if, if you lean more towards a cessationist kind of perspective that says, and, and generally when I talk to people who are cessationists, it's because, well, I've seen tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and, and the working of miracles done in such harmful ways. And I would say yes and amen to that. There's a lot of brokenness in the church that needs to be dealt with but I don't see any reason why that means that those gifts are not available to the body of Christ today to be used correctly for the common good. And what does that look like in our church? I don't know. Let's figure it out. There's some guidelines. Um, Paul's pretty clear in 1 Corinthians that the gathering should be orderly. And so if you're envisioning like total chaos, like I don't know that that's really the best application of the gifts. 
But I don't see any reason to believe that scripture says as soon as the New Testament was written or as soon as the first century ended or as soon as the apostles all died, these six gifts that everybody's scared of went away. So yes, I'm advocating the use of prophecy and tongues appropriately in the church. Okay, we're done. There's one more question. You know who you are, and I and come talk to me about it later. We're going to take communion like we always do. And communion is many things, but one of the things that it is, it is, is an expression of our dependence on God for power. It's a, it's a meal. We receive nourishment from the bread and the cup. We take it into ourselves. This is, this is a symbol. At our church, we don't believe that the, the bread and the cup actually turn into the body of Christ. It's, it's a symbol that Jesus clearly instituted as a symbol when he did it. But it is symbolic of a reality that the Spirit of God has entered into our hearts and into our lives. And that he is nourishing us. He is growing that fruit in us. He is giving those gifts to us. And he is the way that we are actually experiencing taking Christ into ourselves. So I'm going to invite you to come up as the band plays and take the elements back to your seat and um, just ask the Spirit of God to speak to you in whatever way he feels like speaking in this moment. Maybe there's some things that you've been encouraged in. Maybe there's some things that you need to be poked on a little bit about. And just let God freely speak into your heart and take communion in your seat when you're ready. Additionally, if you, if you want to move around, if you want to experience um, the space a little bit, the prayer rugs are available. You can come up to the front and, and kneel if that's helpful in your connection with the Lord this morning. And, and as always, sing together with us. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.